But what surprised me the most, Eric, is I was trying to run away from my diversity inclusion background. I felt like if I stayed in DNI for much longer, I would be pigeonholed in my career. I would be pigeonholed in diversity inclusion. I would be pigeonholed in um, a, just a certain segment of human resources. And that if I didn't leave um, soon, that my career might stay there. It would be really hard to get out of it. And I knew I wanted to get closer to having impact, closer to touching the business of healthcare. And it's funny because as I ran away from it, it was the one thing that translated and transitioned um, the most. Like having a being trained in DNI, I looked at everything from a diversity inclusion lens. Why are we just large employers at the table? Why are, where are the small businesses? Why don't we have the tech sector? Why are we just mostly manufacturing? We're, we're, we're a union. Should they not be at the table or should they be at the table? So this diversity training that I had that I didn't value as much has been the biggest differentiator for my career. Welcome to the Rockstars Rocking Podcast, powered by Voluntary Disruption, a show dedicated to people who are crushing their business and life goals. These are bite-sized conversations with leading rock stars in their respective industry who are pumped to share their story to help drive you to the next level. So, are you ready to rock? Speaking of rock stars, here's your host, Eric Silverman. Hey, rock stars, welcome back to another episode of Rock Stars Rockin' and Boy, do I have a rock star with me today. My good friend, Jessica Brooks Woods. Welcome, Jessica. What's up, girl? I'm excited. Thanks for having me. I've been waiting for the invite. So, oh man, I am so super fired up and pumped to have you as the rock star guest of the week. Um, Jessica, for those of you that are not connected with uh, Jessica yet or you don't know Jessica, um, she is the president and CEO of the Pittsburgh Business Group on Health. She is uh, busy because there's more. You wait. Here we go. She is the CEO and founder of US Health Desk. She is also the founder of Earn. Earn's stands for Executive Action Response Network. She's a, um, a busy mom of four kids, five if you include her rock star husband, our good friend, my good friend, Marlon. He's your good friend too. Um, we're going to talk all about this today and more on rock stars rocking. Jessica, if you don't mind, for the sake of uh, time and uh, to get right to the point, I have a bunch of questions. Do you mind if I just dig right in? Let's go for it. So first question I have for you is your background, you started in the insurance world uh, on the carrier side with a Blue Cross uh, division uh, out in the, in the Pennsylvania market. And then you, um, I don't want to talk about that, but you transitioned into becoming the uh, CEO and president of the Pittsburgh uh, Business Group on Health. Can we just take a couple minutes here and talk about um, that mission? That's a nonprofit and, and what you guys are, are doing over there, because you're doing some incredible things to help uh, the healthcare world with businesses all over your area. Yes, I, um, we're one of, uh, I guess, about 50 employer coalitions in the country that are affiliated or are members of the National Alliance of Healthcare Purchaser Coalitions. We're one of um, the, the oldest, I guess, and largest coalitions in the country uh, with over 100, about 100 employer members, non-healthcare industry members uh, that are um, paid dues to the organization. We're 501c3. Our aim is to 
transform healthcare um, access, quality, equity, uh, and delivery through empowering employers and leveraging their collective power and prowess um, to make change. Uh, we are um, very diverse in how we serve our members. We have education services, we provide group purchasing. So we actually contract directly with PBMs and data analytics firms and other service providers um, to ensure that we can extract waste, create efficiency and give um, better pricing um, through a collective buying opportunity. We educate um, quite a bit on a variety of different things, um, anything that touches benefits and healthcare. Uh, and we advocate a lot. So whenever there's a market disruption, uh, we're typically right there with a position. Our position always lies on the side of the employer and, and most times on the side of the employees and their families. Um, but that's, that's what we do at PBGH. Um, we're, we have in the last year, two years, um, have been focused in a way that we hadn't before in the public health space and, and, and health equity and mental health. Um, really, really um, focused on quality and making sure we're not only know what we're paying for, but we're paying for value and we're paying for good outcomes um, and that we take that responsibility as purchasers very seriously. So it's been exciting, uh, but, you know, very interesting journey I have and uh, from the blues to defense industry, um, but I got my master's at CMU in public management and it opened my eyes to consider the nonprofit world. Um, but love healthcare and want to make sure I stayed and was able to make a bigger impact directly in the healthcare space. And that's what we get to do at PBGH. For those that aren't familiar with the uh, vernacular, CMU is Carnegie Mellon University, the Carnegie Mellon University. So uh, we're talking to a very, very, very smart rock star this week. Um, Jessica, so you were um, at Highmark uh, for quite a while, uh, Blue Cross uh, Network, and um, uh, they're incredible. You were uh, you you transitioned over the years from employment specialist to the diversity consultant. But my question isn't about that. It's really how did you take that jump to becoming the uh, the CEO and president of uh, of PBGH? Uh, was that immediate? What, did you start at a different level and work your way up? And the reason I ask is, you know, we have a lot of folks listen who have um, have uh, sons and daughters, and then themselves they have goals of moving up, and it is quite the leap of faith to leave uh, a position that you held with a company, a big company for so many years in a great respected um, position to just try something different. That's a leap of faith that not everybody uh, takes. It really is. Eric, I'm so glad you asked this question. I was talking to a group of women um, through a professional network that I advised recently and got to dig a little deep on my story and, and how that even happened. I, I literally was a strong individual contributor um, before I became the CEO of a, a significant organization in Western PA. And um, I leveraged everything that I could in those experiences. I had the opportunity while in DNI to be pulled into merger and acquisition projects and change management program projects as the industry was changing in the health insurance industry, uh, where the industry was beginning to consolidate more. Um, and uh, was then becoming integrated delivery and financing systems. And I was a part of unique teams um, where I was able to lend insight from a diversity and inclusion perspective. How are we considering going from business to business to business to consumer? Um, I also was very active in the community and 
was one of the um, inaugural advisory mem uh, members, a young leadership board that the YWCA um, had created here in the Western Pennsylvania. I was one of the first young leaders um, and it had treasure experience and, and different kinds of experiences that most people at that time at my age maybe wouldn't have had. And I sold the mess out of it <laughs> in the interview process. Um, I, I, got, I had received my master's degree from Carnegie Mellon, which gave me a little bit more um, you know, insight into um, public management, which was definitely seen as valuable to our, the board members. Uh, came with innovative approaches to how we can move the organization forward. And because I was on a lot of those creative project teams, healthcare reform was actually um, here. And, and, and that's what the organization was focused on at the time. And 2014 is when I started at PBGH. So I was on healthcare reform teams at Highmark. I was able to leverage that and, and bring some unique ideas on how we could position ourselves as a valuable entity. But what surprised me the most, Eric, is I was trying to run away from my diversity inclusion background. I felt like if I stayed in DNI for much longer, I would be pigeonholed in my career. I would be pigeonholed in diversity inclusion. I would be pigeonholed in um, a, just a certain segment of human resources. And that if I didn't leave um, soon, that my career might stay there. It would be really hard to get out of it. And I knew I wanted to get closer to having impact, closer to touching the business of healthcare. And it's funny because as I ran away from it, it was the one thing that translated and transitioned um, the most. Like having a being trained in DNI, I looked at everything from a diversity inclusion lens. Why are we just large employers at the table? Why are, where are the small businesses? Why don't we have the tech sector? Why are we just mostly manufacturing? Where, where, where are unions? Should they not be at the table or should they be at the table? So this diversity training that I had that I didn't value as much has been the biggest differentiator for my career. And honestly, I was, um, I believe I was cheaper than my competition in the process. I was young. I was willing to, you know, take minimal benefits. I just wanted a certain salary level. And they were used to a more mature benefits leaders who wanted a pension and still couldn't risk their 401ks with their companies. And I was willing to risk it all to have the opportunity to catapult my career and get it to the next level. And uh, that's how I ended up um, leading, literally jumping from a middle manager position in an HR division and a company to leading one of the most influential coalitions in the country. Oh man, there's there's so much to unpack here. Um, uh, first off, you are still young. You said you were young. No, you still are young. Let's just clarify for the record. Um, but with all seriousness, um, you said you you just said it right. You you were willing to risk it all. Um, most people, uh, I don't want to say most, but a lot of people aren't that way. They're not that forward thinking to, uh, again, take that leap of faith and risk it all. Um, and what I really love that you said is how you sold it on the interview, right? You, you really went for gold, for lack of a better term. Um, I don't know, uh, maybe you can share if you want, but perhaps you, you still were employed, meaning you didn't have much to lose. It wasn't a big deal. You saw it as a great opportunity and you, uh, you went for it. And if they, if they turned you down, so what? You, you would have stayed where you're at and found something in the future if that's the case. Am I accurate or semi-accurate? I, I was still employed, still valued where I was, still wanted where I was. Right. Yes. 
So, you know, there's a lesson there too, because, you know, I've interviewed and hired literally thousands of people in my former days as a, I'm a recovering carrier rep in the insurance world. And um, the best interviews and the absolute uh, studliest of all studs, male and female that I would hire, boy, most all of them, not all, but most all of them were gainfully already employed. Not really, they're not, and I'm not saying you were, but they're not desperate. They're not, they're not in a position where it's make or break. They, they want a new opportunity, but if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, there's something to be said for that. Unfortunately, a lot of people, when they're looking for a new opportunity, um, they wait until they're not in an opportunity. And yeah. then it's harder, uh, in my opinion, to get a new, really good opportunity. So um, I just, I love how you said that. You went all out. Uh, and again, you went for gold. L- let me ask you a question. Um, uh, you know, when you said, you, you know, you were uh, a consultant at, at the Blues for DNI or what's now referred to these days more as DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, Um and again, correct me if I'm wrong, by all means, I, I don't mind being wrong, my wife will tell you, but I don't feel like DNI was talked about even five, six, seven years ago as much as it is now. And there's lots of reasons why now, but um, you were trying to run away from that. And now it's like on the forefront of everything. And, and I want to dig into that more. Um, did you ju- Did you know it was going to be a bigger thing now than than ever because I mean we're talking about 2013 when you left that position right no I I always believed in it and I it was valued in certain markets and it was valued with certain industries within certain industries Um, but it was still um, very tailored and my goal was always to be a part of the business of any organization and HR just happened to be the track that I ended up being in and was interested in and, and knew that it was a way to learn the business, but I always wanted to be a part of the business. And unfortunately, um, D and I, and still, I mean, very under-resourced department, one of the most critical departments, um, what we had to learn about different business segments was, was intimate. We had, I, I supported stop loss, for example. I, I needed to know what was costing our customers the most money. Oh, NICU babies. Oh, of those NICU babies, the majority of them are low birth weight black babies. Why are black babies in the NICU and it's costing a lot of money? If, you, if we talk to our customers about diversity inclusion and the health of their, all, their employees and targeting health programs to their black populations, maybe we can bring down their stop loss, right? Costs. Those are things that at that time, was, you know, too, too much to connect, right? Too far removed from the day-to-day pain or issue or business problem of we have a lot of NICU baby costs, right? Preterm babies that happen to be babies of color. Sure. And they understood that, but didn't um, strategically understand, okay, then how do we then partner differently with the businesses or our employers that buy our product to help bring those costs down? Today, that's exactly what's in demand. I did not foresee it being in demand in such a strategic way. I didn't anticipate DNI going anywhere, but I felt like it was too programmatic. Let's have an event. Let's educate. Let's bring in a keynote speaker on for Black History Month. Let's bring in a speaker for Women's History Month versus how do we really leverage this as a strategic asset and, and department um, and skill set and competency within our organization to help us reach the marketplace differently. 
And that's where I saw it going. That's where, you know, I was the first um, hire at, at my boss and myself. We really were the first two hires in that new strategic positioning of that department of transitioning from affirmative action and compliance to a strategy, um, uh, you know, office, but it was taking some time. And, um, and I wanted to leave it because I felt like I, the best I could do is move up into bigger companies or to, to um, in the DNI lane versus being seen as a strategic partner in the organization. And we're still advocating for DNI departments to have the resources they need and the being able to have the personnel that they need to be able to have the impact that's necessary. So, um, I mean, we could go on for hours just only about PBGH, but there's so much I want to unpack. Um, for those, just to remind you, Jessica is super busy, right? And I really appreciate her taking the time to come on the show. Um, you also just started, I believe, uh, in the last many months, um, uh, you're the CEO and founder of U.S. Health Desk, um, which is uh, separate from uh, PBGH. Uh, can you talk about that for a few minutes and tell us what it's all about and, and why you started it? Sure, I'd love to. Um, it's really my heart work and it's been a part of my journey, um, honestly, Eric, for a long time that I've had to uncover. I've had my own healthcare experiences, um, bias um, and, and uh, disregard as a patient in my healthcare experiences throughout my life, but primarily have for the birthing of my children. Um, two of which I believe as a result of my treatment resulted in postpartum depression. And so I, I, and I remember hearing stories growing up from my mother who is now 75 years old, but 40 years ago when she had my sister and her placenta was left in her and, and she was sent home and she collapsed with her newborn and almost died. And then she goes into the hospital and she hears the nurse tell the doctor, should we send this to the lab when they took her placenta out? And he says no. And she still remembers and tells that story as if it was yesterday that he said no. Like he, it wasn't, she wasn't important enough to send the placenta to the lab to see if anything else was going on or to record the mishap. And so my world's kind of like, you know, have come, have come together from my DEI experience. I had a unique opportunity to work and help and support the health disparities department at the Blue Cross company I worked with. I also um, was starting, have been very vocal with PBGH in the marketplace, so visible and branded as someone who's willing to advocate and take positions on things that are important and that matter. So I saw, found myself summer 2019 getting pinged through Facebook Messenger, which I wasn't very active in at the time. In fact, this is, I'm more active in it now because I never know when a patient may reach out. And it would be, um, primarily black, it was all black women who reached out um, either for themselves or for someone that they were in the hospital with. And the common denominator is that they were women, they were black women, they felt that they were being ignored or mistreated um, and that if they didn't get help right away, there would be an adverse outcome. Like they were afraid, the anxiety was kicking in, they were concerned someone had fallen as a result. And then it hit a little closer to home. You know, my niece was shot in her abdomen at a high school graduation party in summer 2019. She survived, thank God, um, but she was a teenager and uh, we were scared and we got that call at 11 o'clock at night for my sister and we were in the hospital room, just like you see on the movies and you're waiting to hear the news. And then I had to advocate for her when she but basic functions weren't happening and they were still trying to get her out of the hospital. Um, and so as it got closer to home, 
um, it hit me. And every single time that I was outreached to, I reached out to who in my network, I reached out to the CEO. I'm privileged to have relationships with the highest level leaders in most of the hospitals in the region or someone who knows them and have relationships. And every single time those leaders would be, have a sense of urgency and be somewhat appalled or shocked that this was happening on their watch. And they would intervene and reach out to the appropriate personnel that would then um, connect with the patient or that patient's team to let them know that we are here for you. And so I wanted to be able to scale me because I sometimes were in meetings and I missed the messenger for two hours or I didn't get to the patient you know, rather, as quickly as I would have liked. I wanted to be able to scale me and the response to my outreach and the response of leaders of the hospital systems to not to take them from being an adversary to an advocate for their own patients and to give a patient an opportunity to have an empowered voice. Um, and then in September 2019, the University of Pittsburgh came out with a study in inequality with um, a race and gender lens. And it showed that Pittsburgh is one of the worst places in, in this country compared to 89 comparable cities for black women to live and survive and have a quality of life. Our maternal mortality rates are some of the worst in the country. Our infant mortality rates amongst black women are some of the worst in the country. Cardiovascular um, outcomes for black men and cancer outcomes for black men are some of the worst in the country compared to 89 comparable cities. And so taking that all into account, I knew I, I had to do something. And when the pandemic hit and I saw in some states, six times the rate of death, 3.75 times the rate of death of black and brown people from the virus, understanding my background that this stuff didn't happen overnight, that these are due to decisions and, and systemic policy and practices that have created health disparities in this country. And pairing that with my these experiences, I knew I had to create something that rang, helped people ring an alarm at the point of care. At right now, while people are being harmed to prevent a death at this moment. And that's where Health Desk was birthed and, and why it exists. Wow. Just wow. I mean, so so obviously you have a website. If, if for somebody that wants to take advantage of uh, the services that that U.S. Health Desk is providing, um, walk me through just a little bit uh, on how they can do that. Um, and I assume, if I'm wrong, tell me. I assume they have to be in your general market. It's not national yet. Is that accurate? It is, it is not. If they have an emergent situation and they're out of Western PA, it will be very difficult for me to help them right now. Sure. Uh, however, we are working as diligently as possible to make that happen. With that said, though, if it's not emergent and they want to be able to record their story and voice, they can do that on our site right now, ushealthdesk.org. Um, we are asking for patients to tell their stories. You do not have to be a person of color. I do understand that um, many people experience um, dis uh, discomfort or poor quality treatment in the sure. healthcare delivery system. I, with that said, I believe when we solve for the most vulnerable, when we solve for those have, that have had the most grave injustices in our system, then everyone can be helped. And so that's what the secret of the health desk is, is not that we don't serve everyone, but it is designed with the most vulnerable and disadvantaged in mind so that no one's left behind in our sure. solutions. Um, and then in Western PA, yeah, they can go on the site and there's a way to contact us and, and put in um, an alert. Um, WhatsApp is a part of it. It's a low code, no code. We took what exists already at this time. Um, they can put a note in our website and it'll come to us. 
Um, and then we'll reach out for sure and do everything we can um, real time to make sure that they can get help um, and, and be seen with someone that knows that there's oversight for them. Um, but it was, you know, definitely share your stories with us because we know that many, many people are impacted by bias and, and, and things in the healthcare system. Uh, and we want to record that and account for that. Your stories do matter. I like it. Okay. Uh, and goals, right? This is, it sounds like you're, you're setting yourself up for city to city. You can uh, certainly uh, scale this thing. Yes. Yes. Anyone wants to invest, you can do that too. <laughs> Help us scale faster. Uh, but yes, we're looking for, you know, tech people. If we can get strong tech people who are passionate and want to be a part of a social enterprise, we'll love to have people on board or people who understand the healthcare delivery system and, and how it works. Love to have your insights and strategic um, foresight. Um, you know, right now, this is about service. Mm -hmm. And that's what Health Desk is. We want to help as many people as possible. And I don't want patients to have to pay for it. I yeah. want patients to have no barriers to getting help. Um, so, I like it. Yeah. No barrier to entry. That's huge. Um, walk, uh, we have a couple more things to unpack here. I mean, we could go on for hours, but I want to get to a bunch of stuff. Um, I, I didn't, I mean, I've been friends with you for a long time. I didn't even know you have another business. Like you, you're just, you don't slow down. Like it's just more and more and more, uh, which totally uh, makes you uh, uh, the rock star rock in here. Um, talk to us about EARN, E-A-R-N, the Executive Action Response Network that you founded, uh, again, I believe fairly recently. Can you, yes, can you walk us through that? Sure. EARN and Health Desk almost, uh, they were almost birthed simultaneously. Um, yeah. EARN really came out of the, after the, the murder of George Floyd. And that's, you know, the real of it. I felt, well, one, it was a global, global attention, global uprise and global accountability. And we saw activists um, every day uh, on the streets in front of storefronts or wherever in parks and marching in all, many of our communities across the country. And they kept the attention on the issue. They kept accountability on the issue. Um, and we, then we saw corporate responses to that. We saw uh, from Facebook to um, Bank of America, to Google, um, to locally here, um, one of the fifth lar largest banks in America, PNC Bank. And we saw these folks put out statements and $1 billion Ben and Jerry's. I mean, name a company that you may purchase or you love or you bank or you do business with. Most and of them. they were being held accountable by the public to do something. And for the first time, we saw commitments not to in be inclusive and social responsibility for diversity and inclusion. We saw specific language of we are committed to addressing racism. We are committed to addressing economic inequality. We are committed to addressing, um, the, and we believe it's our responsibility to end systemic racism. So while we were, and then many of us, black professionals in these corporations were pulled into focus groups and getting exposure to the CEOs for the first time, they actually wanted to hear what we had to say, um, wanted us to be solutions for them and give them, you know, baby, basically the black code, the black, like, tell us what to do. How can we solve this? And it was emotionally um, draining. It was mentally straining. Um, and we had to perform as black professionals in our day jobs, but we also had to be available and in focus groups and cohorts to create, help you create a strategy. 
And some of us were getting promoted into jobs. DEI, like you said, is more popular than it has been before. DEI roles, um, other you know, roles to manage these $1 billion P&Ls that were just now built in systemic racism. And, and however, I felt like as we were some, in some ways being harmed in a way because we were still dealing with the hurt of it all ourselves, but also rewarded in a way through economic um, opportunities, through promotions, our activists on the street were really the ones that were providing those opportunities. So I felt like the Black professional leader voice was largely missing from the conversation. So Earn was created merely to write a letter to corporate America in Western Pennsylvania, the top CEOs, um, and let them know what the opportunities were, what we believed were the, was a roadmap um, to how to, to make progress um, from hiring practices and policies and culture to anti-racism training and development, a lot of different things. And then I leveraged um, my PBGH uh, model with an earned kind of an income model that we bolted on solution providers instead of just saying, you need to do more culturally competent training, our anti-racism training through your ranks and your board of directors, we've scoured the country for the best anti-racism trainers and development program and said, hey, and not only that, we have a program for you. And then we, one of our recommendations was hiring more people of color, African-Americans through your top leadership roles to help be a solution sustainably for you. And then we said, wait, well, why don't we start a staffing company to make it easier? So Earn went from being a voice in the whole entire issue to now a solution provider to if you really want to take action and this isn't just clickbait, you can do something about it and you can work with Earn to do that. And so uh, we have three co-founders on the Earn side and in our staffing company, we have a total of five of us that are have co-founded Earn Staffing Solutions and we have several companies that are taking advantage of it. That's awesome. Look, I mean, I, I, I'm just mesmerized that you can find the time for all of this. And, you know, it, it's kind of... I always, my, my thought is you, people find time for things they see value in, things that they're passionate about. So when somebody says to me, they don't have time for this or they don't have time for that, I've always been the type of guy that says kind of nonsense, like that's hogwash. Um, and, and I'm guilty as charged. I mean, you know, my story, I'm not here to talk about me, but I, I'm on this huge health uh, and, and exercise and fitness kick over the last year and a half. Um, but I would for years say, I don't have time for that. I don't have to, it's just an excuse. It was just an excuse. That's all made me sleep better at night. And I totally recognize that. So for you to be doing all of this, um, not even including managing the day-to-day, -day, uh, you and Marlon of, uh, of four kids, um, and school and everything that comes with it in sports. I know your kids are very active. I mean, my goodness, but again, it shows that when you have passion and you see value that, that it can be done. It, it can be done. Um, it doesn't come without consequences, you can imagine. Sure. You know, it's been a struggle, um, not feeling like a failure as a mom at times, um, or feeling like I'm not there enough for my team, you know, at PBGH, um, or there with my co-founders, you know, <laughs> something, you know, uh, drops at some point, but it's not to a point of devastation, it can't be picked back up, right? Sure. Um, and that's what we do every day. It's we make the decisions that we do. We prioritize the best we can. And and but I feel called, right? I feel like I've been blessed to be chosen to help um, society as a whole, human humankind in this country, 
um, for very, very big, big long-term issues that we've been plagued with. And I feel blessed for that. And that gives me the energy. And I do, I have late, late nights, you know, once my kids are in bed, I'm back here um, on my computer talking to one of my co-founders or, or strategizing or researching something to make sure that I'm sharp enough um, to be able to meet the day tomorrow. Um, but, you know, it, you're right. I mean, even as women, we're often told to say no because it's hard for women to say no a lot of times. So we say yes to a lot of things. And I felt like I, I was responsible to say yes to, you know, um, the things that like health desk, why health desk is started, why Ernest started. Um, and although my plate is really, really full, um, there is an inter intersections of what I'm doing across the board between PBGH health desk and earn. Um, and I'm blessed to be able to be a solution at this time. So um, to me, it just sounds like you're, and it's a great thing. You're building your, your, your legacy that you'll one day leave um, mm -hmm. between all of it. Uh, quite frankly. And I, I suspect, because I know you, there's more to come. We don't even know about it. Uh, and you're not national yet with all this stuff um, yet. Yes. So um, this is uh, off the cuff because you mentioned it. Uh, and I want to focus the next uh, uh, handful of minutes or so on uh, another huge topic before we finish up today. But um, you just said something that I think is going to be near and dear to a lot of people. Um, you said uh, sometimes you, you wrestle with that idea of uh, are you failing as a mom? Uh, and I think dads feel that way too, or am I failing as a dad? I know I went through that when I was in the uh, insurance carrier world where I, I, honest to goodness, I didn't really see my daughter grow up in her early years um, mm -hmm. because I was running and gunning at the highest level. And nobody cries for me. I made a lot of money. I feel like I did very well for, um, for people as well. But at the end of the day, there is that balance. So when you have those days, we're all, we're all only human if yeah. or when you have those days where you feel like, oh, geez, I got my business here, but I'm failing as a mom. Um, can you share a little insight on, on how you overcome that and what you do uh, in your own mind? Because a lot of it's mindset. A lot of it is mindset. Um, and honestly, they care about the quality. They're, they're, they don't count the hours. Uh, they count the moments. And, you know, and it was easier at the beginning of COVID because we would work and we kind of explained, well, typically you would be at school right now and I would be working. You wouldn't see, when I go to work, this is actually what I do. Now you get to see what I do. And it was kind of like, I'm in your world and you're in my world. And I would make lunch in between, you know, calls and Zooms and, and we just had a vibe. And then at, you know, around 5.30 every day, we'd go to the park and we'd run around and they can ride their bikes. And we had this really good, I guess the best you can call it schedule or routine, but after months of that, and then summer, a summer came, that routine got interrupted, right? It wasn't the same school wasn't done at a certain time. And then you only had two hours of kind of free play and do your own thing while we were finishing up calls. Uh, and it just became unsustainable um, to maintain this, you know, consistent moment, moments, um, effort of making quality um, happen. And so there's days that the quality doesn't happen. You don't, they don't get the time. They, they just haven't gotten the time. Um, and so our weekends have become very important. Um, also explaining and, under, and understanding and inviting them to be a part of the meetings. Spider-Man shows up all the time in PJ Masks. Um, you never know if Mr. Incredible is going to show up or Spider-Man uh, in a Zoom. He's welcomed. He, he's become a part of my world, my work. And that mindset has helped. 
Also, you know, I had a daughter, my seven-year-old, she struggled very hard. Her kindergarten, her latter part of kindergarten and all of first grade has been in, in the pandemic virtual environment. And we had to make a decision to have her reduce first grade again this upcoming year. That was one of the hardest things hmm. that I've had to go through. And then I realized like, is this about you or her? Because she's going to be okay. Like she's, you're setting her up for success. She's not the only kid in the world that has been faced for, with this challenge. Um, and, and once I got over my own feelings, I realized that she was more okay than I was. And I had to get over that. Um, and just be there for her and help her be prepared. Um, and that's really been open communication with, with our children on the realities of things, making them feel that we see them and we understand that they're going through things too, that they've been separated from their friends and that they have to learn at a different pace and they have to get used to technology they never had to before and that, that's okay. Um, so it's a mindset, I think it's a constant reminder. I wouldn't say I have perfection, um, in it. And, um, but it is something that I've come to grips with to be okay with not, with not being perfect. Yeah. Well, you know, you know uh, I don't think anybody's perfect. I'm not perfect. And I'm a big believer that, uh, of the saying that, uh, I didn't make this saying, I wish I did, but I always say progress over perfection. Um, so just keep moving forward, progress and progress, and yes. you'll get closer and closer to perfection, but I still don't think you'll ever, anybody will ever be perfect. I'm not saving my goal anymore. I saw Marlon, I said, this is about precision, not perfection. There's a difference, Very you know, much. right place, right time where we can be. Um, but perfection is not the goal. Any, and I think as parents, we, that's what we think there's is an ideal. And I realized that our family is unique to your family. Your family is unique to your neighbor's family. There are nuances and value systems that are different and that um, we've had to recognize what those were to be yeah. able to mentally um, get through it all um, yeah. in a healthy way. And I can say my kids are healthy and they're happy um, and relying on our village, um, actually being able saying yes to help um, when people offered has been a, a saving grace during this time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, as we start to wrap up, I, I, I have to talk about this. This is so cool and so uh, powerful and important for your community and your city. Um, so for those that don't know, uh, again, I'm talking here with uh, Jessica Brooks, who um, who's married to Marlon Woods. Marlon was on the Rockstars Rockin' podcast a few months ago, back uh, episode 11. Check it out. Episode 11. It was incredible. Um, and uh, uh, Marlon has a secret that uh, he only shared with a with a handful of select a couple of handfuls of select people over the last many months or so. Um, but he's now out, and it's that he is uh, he is the newest uh, mayoral candidate for the city of Pittsburgh. Um, and I'm so yeah. proud of him and and you. You're going to be the the is, is it a, is it called the first lady when you're the 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 wife of the mayor? I don't know well, things that we find out, right? I but, guess um, don't call me flop. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point so um can we talk about that for a minute i know he's out campaigning and working really hard i know he's not here to um sh uh, to show on screen but again go uh go listen to episode 11 if you want to meet marlon um so he's running i want to start with this marlon in a uh, in a city your city that is um specifically and typically democratic uh, as candidates and, and mayors in the past and current, I imagine, uh, he's running, he decided to run as an independent. Can you talk about that for a few minutes? I can, yes. I, Marlon has, well, one, this isn't overnight. This is a decision that 
has been in the works since late 2016, and he made the official decision in 2017. I think you were one of the earlier folks to learn about it. Um, and so this has been in the, in the process of for three, four years now, and the world is just finding out. The, the, the city, he just announced on June 10th, and he, from the beginning, was running as an independent um, because he wants to ensure choice, and he wants to ensure the runway for for the residents of the city to have an opportunity to learn and make a decision based on values. Um, it's, it's a largely democratic city. We uh, have, I think for the first time in 88 years, an incumbent lost in the primary. For the first time in 40 years, people have a choice, meaning there's you know the democratic selection and now someone uh, else running in the general election. He is a major proponent of economic development and uh, prosperity for this for this region um, and leaving no resident behind and, and serving each resident and giving them a voice. Um, healthcare, as you know, is a big part of his background. Um, he was a benefits consultant with you guys and have served on boards with you. Um, so incorporating uh, those opportunities into his policies are gonna be critical. He sees that as an economic advantage if we can be a healthy city, both um, from a holistic health perspective, a financial health perspective, um, mental health perspective, and um, and he's not shying away from the opportunity to have total comprehensive police community reform, where he believes both sides need an opportunity to heal, be actively engaged, address trauma, rebuild trust. Um, so that's why he's an independent. He, he does not believe he should represent a party, but he should represent people, and that the biggest opportunity of that is to create the freedom of choice through an independent race. So... Um, it, Marlon came from, uh, from my background, even your background, really. I mean, we're all from the employee benefits insurance uh, space, for lack of a better term, uh, in various capacities. Um, and, you know, based on what you said earlier in the interview uh, on your current companies that you're running so successfully, um, you know, I, I see that there's a, a ridiculous, um, insane amount of healthcare racism frankly, when it comes to uh, treatment and, and quality or lack thereof quality treatment. Um, and I know that's not just in Pittsburgh, but it's happening all over the world, all over the, the nation. Um, but then you said something earlier about how Pittsburgh is one of the lowest um, levels with respect to healthcare, uh, I would say quality or lack thereof. Um, so what's, what's Marlon going to be doing about that specific component. Um, and, and frankly, your businesses and your nonprofits will help as well. Yes, I, he has a really innovative approach to economic development that includes a social determinants of health lens. Mm -hmm. So a part of that is incorporating infrastructure to address barriers to getting access to healthcare to begin with like childcare, um, like employment, and employment that will enable you to be able to provide for your family and buy healthy foods um, and, and getting our, our economy thriving again and recovering again after COVID-19. Mental health is a really, really interesting part of his, his health strategy as well as his um, reform strategy uh, for police community reform and his economic uh, recovery reform for COVID-19. So, that will help address some of the disparities um, from a mental health perspective that it ultimately um, helps with us having different levels of decision-making. 
he also is really about accountable accountability and he will be working with our large nonprofit healthcare systems um, to be community partners. You, and when you talk to him a lot, um, his, his stance is around community partnership and how are you investing back in the community to address the gaps in care and outcomes that we have. Um, so he'll be working closely with our healthcare sector, our tech sector, our public health um, sector uh, to create customizable solutions for the city. Um, so, you know, I, I'm really excited about what he's going to do. I think it's going to be extremely innovative and um, a, a model for the country. The, um, you know what, and I meant to say this earlier when we were talking about your companies, uh, I love how you, um, we were talking about how you went from um, uh, a position in a, in a great organization in the insurance world, in the carrier world, um, to taking that leap of faith, laying it all out on the line and, and um, going for gold, trying to become the CEO of a, of a large um, nonprofit uh, that has a lot of big things that they can accomplish. Um, but what I love about that, uh, and I'm going to parlay this into how I, I love what Marlon's doing, is you were a, and this is hopefully not offensive, you were a non-CEO. You weren't a CEO prior. You didn't. You weren't a founder of anything that I know about per se business-wise yet at the time. And I, I truly believe that's probably, in my opinion, one of the big reasons they brought you aboard because you could think, and this is cliche, but you could think out of the proverbial box. You could literally bring fresh new ideas. You know, a lot of times I feel like companies and, um, and in politics as well, this is where I'm going, they, you get stale when you have somebody who's a lifelong CEO or they started 20, 30 years ago and they just go from company to company. They, they bring the same old ideas and nothing fresh perspective-wise. And I like the idea of, of Marlon or frankly, anybody around the country who runs for a political office but doesn't have a ridiculous amount of experience in politics. In Marlon's case, he's run successful businesses, and he can bring that that um, that mindset to politics. Um, am I crazy with this? You're not crazy at all, Eric. I'm so glad you get it. <laughs> um, leadership is his product. Right. Leadership is about service and, and increasing the quality for those that you serve. And that's what you would want out of your mayor. That's what you want out of a public servant. And he has been not only a businessman, but he's been a civic servant. He's on many boards. As you know, he has a heart, a heart his own personal heart story. He's on the American sure. Heart Association that provides food and during the pandemic, addressing food insecurity. He's on a lot of different boards associated with youth and mentoring a lot of young men in his community. Um, and service, I, I describe him as a servant leader, and, the, and he I had the honor of providing the opening remarks at his uh, announcement, and servant leadership was the theme of that, that this is a person that understands leadership, that understands relationships, that can build trust, that can work with diverse stakeholders, and come up with solutions that will benefit the community, uh, and He's an active listener and has learned that, as you know, you have to be in the healthcare benefit space to come up with solutions. And he's been able to do that and has that experience. And that's what we're hoping that um, the community understands um, will translate into value and quality of life and service for them. I love it. I, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I live in, a, in the Baltimore area, north of Baltimore, and I'm not going to have the opportunity on TV to see any commercials if they exist, but I need to see them because hopefully it's his deep radio voice. Uh, for those that don't know Marlon's voice, listen to episode 11, and you'll exactly know what I'm talking about very quickly. Uh, but he is very, uh, uh, I don't want to say outspoken, he's well-spoken. Like you, when, he, when, when Marlon talks, you listen. Like it's, it's my it. God, you can't help but listen because you're just mesmerized with his voice once you get over that you then say oh okay let me actually hear what he's talking about right. <laughs> um i'll never forget when i first met him i was just like dude that voice is like i mean you should be uh doing voiceovers for for any, everything like that should be his career but i like the idea of mayor better head offer offers uh, the, the, i bet I bet. You said so, the offers. Uh, there you go. Well, listen, I appreciate you coming on. Um, uh, Jessica, it's been it's been a, a pleasure. I always love chatting with you, and I, I hope our uh, listeners uh, enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, for those of, uh, folks listening that want to get in touch with you uh, in any various capacity or, and or they want to um, help with, um, with Marlon's campaign, I know we can uh, certainly send folks to uh, MarlonWoods.com, um, but uh, how can they reach you? Sure, jessica.brooks at pbghpa.org. LinkedIn, Jessica Brooks. You can always connect with me on there as well and would love to be connected. Perfect, perfect. And and we'll, uh, for those listening, we'll have all that in the show notes, of course. Um, If you have any questions, comments, ideas, thoughts on uh, today's discussion, please don't be shy. Put them in the comment section below if you're watching this on uh, any social media platform or YouTube. If you've uh, downloaded it on Apple or uh, Spotify or any other uh, podcast um, uh, uh, place that you are listening, please feel free to uh, ask away there. And uh, you look, I, I just show up and ask the questions and have a uh, put a smile face on and listen and learn. Um, but there's a lot of people behind the scenes helping me out, just like you have a lot of people behind the scenes helping you with all your successful businesses. So on behalf of everybody behind the scenes at the Rockstars Rockin' Podcast, I'm Eric Silverman. That is Jessica Brooks Woods. Uh, and this has been another rockin' episode of Rockstars Rockin'. Until next week, don't just have a good week. No, no, no. We don't have good weeks. Make it a good week. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Rockstars Rocking Podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. Five stars would totally rock. Until next time, rock stars, keep rocking.